Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You need to understand the business, you need to understand the financials, the drivers of the stock, the sector, the competitors. Um, so it is a lot of work to be able to keep on top of all of those factors that could drive the stock. Um, and unless you have a large pool of money that will allow you to adequately diversify through having a number of stock holdings across different um, countries and diff- across different sectors, you, you are exposed to that single stock shock. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. When I started this podcast, I could barely spell ETF. I didn't realise how much ETFs in their various forms had become such a big part of the investing landscape. And I know from your questions how much you want to know about them, so who better to talk to than someone who helps to manage an actual ETF? G'day, Emily O'Neill. Hello, how are you, Phil? Now, Emily is from eInvest, a company that creates portfolios that trade as actively managed ETFs. How did you come to work in finance? Yeah, it's an interesting one because ever since I was very young, I have been passionate about the industry. I'm not really sure where it came from, but I think I was just attracted to how the movement of capital is such an important area of our economic system. And I always kind of thought that people who worked in finance were quite intelligent and Mm. it's obviously a very fast-paced industry. So it was kind of something that I just always had my eyes on and worked worked towards that. I actually, my goal when I was, I think I was about 14 or 15, was that I wanted to be CEO of Macquarie Bank. Um, so definitely <laughs> a way to set some high expectations for myself. Look out, Shamara. <laughs> so what sort of age did that um, urge come about? Like yeah. from a very young age? Probably about eight or nine. Yeah. It was, it's, I don't have any family who, who works in the industry. There's no one, your dad or mum no, didn't no, push you in all. this? No, no, not at all. It was just, yeah, it just kind of really seemed like, something that I, I was attracted to and I was, you know, always counting my parents' coins and things yeah. like that. So it's just just an industry I, I really wanted to, to get involved with. And as I was working, I kind of developed a bit of a passion for sustainable investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was previously working in investment bank and, and doing some banking finance type, type things. And I just thought sustainable finance was a way to make a positive contribution. It was also a very growing uh, industry. And so I put my hand up for a role um, at eInvest to help manage their sustainable fund there. Because this is something that I've been trying to um, achieve with the podcast is to, first of all, show that um, the industry is actually a great place to work in. And uh, people are lovely in the industry as well. And especially for women to consider this as as an option because it is still a bit of a male-dominated industry, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, if you look at um, the statistics, you know, only 30% of women in the ASX 200 are represented on boards of the chair people, it's only 18%. So there's definitely a long way to go, but it has definitely made improvements to make it a more um, friendly environment for both genders and and to help recruit women into the industry. And it is an absolutely a very rewarding career because you do get to meet with lovely people from all backgrounds um, of life and and skill sets. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a background in finance or a finance degree to to join. Um, You know, I work with people who have started their careers uh, in all kinds of industries and actually corporate experience is really important to bring those those new 
I guess, diversity of opinions into the, into the industry. You said before about um, being fascinated by the movement of capital. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so the movement of capital is kind of, I guess, one of the big drivers of the economy. So people have excess funds that they may need to, that they can lend out for people who are in fund deficit to, to do all kinds of activities. So to facilitate investments in, you know, building a new office tower or to invest in their own business to, to grow. Um, so it's all about basically the borrowing and the lending of, of money. And, and that's the where finance kind of steps in. And you were 14 and fascinated by that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was. It seems weird, but, but it's true. Okay, so let's um, move on to ETFs. Now, what are the advantages of ETFs? And um, you have a little something you wanted to say about that before? Yeah, so um, where eInvest is an uh, active ETF provider. Um, so I just wanted to quickly say that we will be just making general comments here only. It's not financial advice. So make sure you consult a professional and read the PDS at eInvest.com.au. And, um, you... and anyone would be an idiot to listen to me for, <laughs> for financial advice. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so basically, so we think ETFs are a great way to uh, provide exposure to, to the stock market. Um, so it stands for exchange traded funds. And basically, it's a portfolio of a bunch of holdings that you can easily buy and sell on the stock exchange, just like you would buy any other stock on the market. So they're a great way to diversify your portfolio because you get exposure to certain sectors um, or to certain indices. And we're particularly a active ETF provider. So what that means is you're getting professional management of the portfolio. So they're, they're stock picking, if, if you like. Okay. So with ETFs, you're buying a basket of stocks. You're not confined to one single share, are you? It's all put together for some, under some kind of philosophy. Is exactly. that how it works? Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. So mm. you get basically, when you buy a, a unit or, or a, a value on through an ETF, you're actually buying a portfolio of different companies. So there's all different types of ETFs. So you have passive ETFs, which look to track an index or to a certain sector. Give of, us an example of, of something like that. Yeah, yeah. So for example, you might have a um, ETF that tracks the ASX 200 or buys the technology index, for example, um, or you can have an actively managed portfolio like IMPQ, which is the fund that I helped to manage listed on the stock exchange. And that is basically focused on small and middle companies that are contributing to what we call a, a sustainable future. So you can get exposure to really interesting parts of of the um, stock exchange, basically, through just buying one one name on, on the stock exchange. So what's the difference between an ETF and a managed fund? So they can be similar. An active ETF is, is a managed fund. So it's basically there's portfolio managers who help to stock pick, buy and sell uh, different, different stocks. And they'll also typically create financial models. So they're forecasting the revenue and, and how that looks and running valuation analysis and they will actually be able to pivot their investment decisions based on things that are happening in the economy or things that are happening on a sector-by-sector -sector basis or across different geographies. And I guess they're doing a lot of research, or and active managers are doing a lot of research into picking the companies that they think will be most advantageous. Exactly. So yeah. that, that's the benefit of an active ETF is you're getting the professional management. So, so they are doing the research into the companies, in-depth research through sector analysts. So sector analysts are people who are skilled in, in one type of industry, whether that's mining or retail, um, and they're really trying to generate uh, returns that 
beat their benchmark. But uh, coming back to the difference between a managed fund and an ETF. Yeah, so a managed fund is typically, um, it can be an unlisted, so it's you can't access, access it through the stock exchange. So you actually have to apply to... Um, buy units in that in that fund through the provider itself. So it's and, not And there's a minimum access. often a minimum investment exactly, as well. Exactly. Exactly. So you have a minimum investment. With ETFs you're not restricted to a minimum. You can buy one unit. It's just whatever your broker restricts you um, on a dollar value. It can be um, five hundred dollars. Uh, there's there's ones that are out there with a fifty dollar minimum. On this podcast we've uh, spoken before one of my previous guests uses the term single stock shock. What's the importance of diversification? Yeah, exactly. So this is a huge one because you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket. Um, So especially during COVID where there's stocks that are really going to underperform or or might outperform, um, you know, it's really important that the company is not running out of cash. Um, So diversification is really essential to avoid those large movements in your portfolio. So it actually means not having a large or too much of a large weighting to one type of stock, specific stock, or one type of sector or geography. So, you know, you can, you can diversify by industry. So across um, financials, retail, um, again, mining, for example. Um, but you can also get exposure, diversification exposure through size of the company. So you might be investing in large companies all the way down to what we call micro caps or, or really small, small uh, companies. And also across uh, geography. So you could have developed markets or developing markets and in investing styles. So there's there's what we call growth stocks versus value stocks. I think, um, sorry, I'm throwing this question in here now. I think there's also an un- a misunderstanding about diversification that just if you're in uh, a passive index fund, say that just um, invests in the top 200 companies on the ASX, that's not real true diversification, is it? Well, it depends on your overall portfolio, I guess. So um, a passive fund will track an index. Um, Like I mentioned before, um, you don't have a professional choose the stocks that go into the portfolio. You're just moving along with the market or or that specific um, ETF, a passive ETF that you're tracking. So um, you are exposed to the ups and the downs of the market. You don't have a professional trying to outperform or, or pick the best stocks. So you're kind of getting the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so it, it really depends on your entire portfolio. It, it can be a good way to diversify um, in some aspects, but you should definitely supplement that, we believe, with an active ETF like IMPQ, which looks at those smaller middle cap companies. We are an active manager. Do you have a definition of uh, small cap? Yeah, so our portfolio is small to mids. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a weighted average market capitalization of $1.7 billion. So it's a little bit on the upper end of small, but typically we define it as outside the ASX 300. So the ASX 300 is the top 300 companies listed on the stock exchange by, by value. So that is amount of stocks times the value of the stock. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So when you're looking at these uh, different shares, like a a, a huge amount of shares on the stock market in Australia are um, small miners and biotech companies. 
Do you have any other kind of sector allocation that you think about when you're putting together portfolios? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, like our biggest exposure to sectors are in the healthcare, financials, renewable energy, and also technology stocks. But we are trying to have a diversified portfolio across all of the different sectors. And we also want a bit of global exposure. So even though all of our companies are listed on the ASX stock exchange, we really want some that have have revenue um, all across all across the world, um, and an appropriate mix of growth holdings. So they're things like technology or emerging healthcare, but also with more defensive holdings um, like renewable energy and consumer staples, which tend to be less uh, more resilient in terms of uh, fluctuations. Um, but just going back to this kind of one stock shock, you know, if you had imagine if you had all of your money in some tourist related stocks, like, for example, Qantas, um, which at the time of recording has been down 47 percent this year um, or Flight Centre down 70 percent this year um, or even event cinemas. Obviously, they haven't been able to be open for a while. So that's down 36 percent. So your portfolio would have really taken a beating. But what what happens when you have diversity is that it actually mitigates some of the impact of those large fluctuations. So that if if one stock was to underperform really, really poorly, that your whole portfolio wouldn't be down that much. Emily, another instrument that's used to gain exposure to um, a variety of assets is an LIC. What's the difference between an ETF like the one that you're managing and an LIC, a listed investment company? So e-invest products are all ETFs and that basically, um, it's an open-ended fund. So it means you can buy and sell units. You don't have to wait for someone to be uh, on the other side of that trade and you're getting very close to market price. So there's typically what they call a market maker, which is- Because that's a big difference. Difference, isn't it? ETFs have to have a market maker, don't they? Exactly. So to, they've got and, this, and what, what's a market maker? Yeah. Doing? So it's like a third-party intermediary who basically helps to manage that the value of the portfolio is similar to what it's trading on the stock exchange. So you actually have to publish your net asset value um, every second, and a net asset value means that it's an indicative uh, value of the underlying portfolio. So, so what the portfolio is worth. So INAV is the indicative net asset value, which is a measure for the underlying value of the holdings. So you're getting very close, um, to, to the value of the underlying, whereas LICs are closed ended funds. So you actually need to wait for a buyer or seller if you want to enter or exit your position in a LIC. And typically that means that they can trade at discounts or premiums to the actual value of the portfolio. And they also don't have to publish their holdings, um, Every, every day they had they legally have to publish it once a month mm-hmm. so you are getting a little bit more um, a little bit more transparency when you invest in an ETF because you can you can see the holdings on on a weekly basis so to put it simply an ETF when you're buying or selling it it's based on the actual value right at that moment whereas an LIC might be um, trading at a, a discount or a premium. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So ETFs, you're getting very close to market value, whereas leaks, because you have to wait for, for that seller to buy in or, or for a buyer when you sell out, um, can, can trade at those uh, discounts or premiums. Yeah. Okay, so you're talking about your interest in ESG. What is ESG? Yeah, yeah. So I'm very passionate about ESG. It's, it's what got me into this role. And it basically stands for the Environmental, Social and Governance Performance of a company's operations and end products and services. So when we talk about environment, we're thinking about things like pollution and greenhouse gas emissions, water management, the circular economy, which is really topical at the moment. 
And in social, it's all about the treatment of employees and their customers. So um, product safety, access and affordability, and also engagement of staff. Um, in governance, we're, we're talking about the board. So that's the management of organisation, diversity, uh, independence, cybersecurity risk, and, and those type of things. Can you give us an example of a particular company? We have uh, heap, heaps of examples of um, ESG-related companies. So we call our sustainable future enablers stocks that are really focused on generating uh, positive sustainable outcomes to society and to the environment. So mm-hmm. stocks in this example is Fluence, which is a water management company, and they're basically delivering decentralised water systems that can be dropped um, and deployed super fast all over um, the developing and developed world, and it provides fresh water to those who really need it. Um, so that's an example. Obviously, water scarcity is, is a huge um, issue at the moment, and that helps to uh, tackle one of, one of that, those issues. So they're the types of companies that we're looking for that are really having a positive difference. So governance, that's an interesting one as well. Um, Can you just go in a little bit deeper into governance? Yeah, And maybe an example of a company that's got really good governance that um, that you can show as an example. Yeah, so governance is the typical, if you think about historical ESG investing, it does focus around governance. So you're wanting to make sure you have an independent board who's acting in the best interest of long-term shareholders. You want to make sure you have a diverse range of skills and backgrounds um, in in the organisation because they tend to outperform. Um, We're really focused on gender diversity. We know that the um, that's a huge issue that's that's been going on in in corporate world. So um, only 18% of chairs in the ASX 200 are, are females. And typically when there's a company that has less than 30% or less than 50% even, we'll write to those management and we will say, we really would encourage you to appoint an independent female director. Here's some suggestions. Um, and in some cases, we might vote against them at the annual general meeting if it's we don't think that they're taking their active steps. Um, in terms of, like, I actually don't know if I can give a good example of governance because there's no perfect company, I guess. Yeah. Um, but we're actively looking for them to continue to improve. So that also includes things like disclosure, making sure they're giving clear and transparent information to shareholders. Well, that brings me to my next question, which is about um, Michael Fraser. Do you know Michael Fraser? No, um, I don't. He, apparently he research, does ESG research. Anyway, so I saw this from um, a quote from, from, him, uh, from him yesterday on LinkedIn. And he's saying, I have noticed a concerning trend where large ASX-listed companies list all the reasons why they're ethical and should be considered an ESG stock. They join ethical organisations, donate to charity, do community work, promote gender equality and pledge to save the environment, plus more. Investors seem impressed and often suggest them as an ethical company, listing all of the above box-ticking. Look, it's it's a really it, good point. Does it make it diff- make, make it difficult? Absolutely. Your job difficult? Yeah. Exa- well, it's called greenwashing, and it's basically the idea that corporates and sometimes even fund managers actually make claims to be ethical or socially responsible or sustainable when they, they may not be. So, some of the ESG rating systems out there do work in a bit of a tick box approach. So, do you have a diversity policy? Tick. Do you have a sustainability report? Tick. Therefore they might consider it a sustainable company or it might rank really well. Um, but we, we do try to break through that noise um, and we really are focused on companies that are positively contributing to a sustainable future and how we do that is focusing on seven key themes. So we're looking at improved social welfare, better educational outcomes, good corporate governance, better health, environmental services, water treatment and renewable energy. 
And we've actually developed our own internal ESG and E scoring system. And, and the second E there stands for engagement. Um, we basically have 500 stocks in our database. And what we're really trying to cut through is on the engagement. So that's that's all about what, how is the management tackling um, ESG risk? What are their approach? How aware are they? Can they talk in depth about sustainability? Do they open investor meetings discussing how important sustainability is for their business? And that can kind of break through some of the, that greenwashing risk um, because typically you can say, you can see some um, executives who might say, Go and read our sustainability report. It gives you all the information. But you also mm-hmm. see executives that are saying, actually, sustainability is so important for our business because our staff really care about it. Our customers want to see it. It's helped to improve our business outcomes. Um, and they're the types of companies that we're looking for. Um, and, and, I, and I guess a big part of what we're doing is ESG improvement. So that's all about helping those, those management teams improve their sustainability outcomes. So we're typically working with companies to help them encouraged to discuss their material business risks and what they should be disclosing. Um, An example is a recent uh, community provider of community housing, and we've been working with them to help them discover what are the material, environmental and social risks of their business and how to best disclose disclose those risks. This is what I found really interesting about this industry. When I came into it, I thought I'd find a lot more red meat capitalism. But everyone's a social justice warrior these days. <laughs> and it's really collaborative. You yes, know, people, yeah. um, you know, people are really working together because I guess the key goal is to improve the social environmental performance of, of our society. So. And I think a big part of it as well as how staff and customers are treated. Mm. That's the S part of it, that's isn't it? That's the S. And actually... That's, that's really important, isn't it? Because so many companies have not been leaders in this no. area. And it's something that kind of got a little bit missed from ESG investors previously. But mm-hmm. obviously with, with the COVID pandemic, we've actually seen social become a lot more in focus. Um, and that's because we want to make sure that corporates are keeping their staff safe if they're having to go back to work. We It was really interesting to see how they dealt with their supply chain. So whether they were just cancelling orders or whether they're actually still working with their suppliers to give the best outcomes for, for both companies um, and also keeping their customers safe, hard, customers that needed hardship, have they been dealing with that um, and are they providing that support and easy access to talk to a customer service representative if their customers need it. And that's really going to have huge impacts to the corporate reputation um, and ongoing customer acquisition going forward. And um, no one's going to escape your laser-like focus on this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it is a key component of what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've started investing in the stock market. Now, how do you track trades, dividends and distributions and all those other goodies? Throw away those clunky spreadsheets with ShareSite. I have my portfolio in ShareSite and everything is automatically recorded. Go to ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a seven-day free trial before taking advantage of four free months. That's ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners. Let's have a chat about the Future Impact Small Caps Fund Active ETF IMPQ, which you help to manage. I do, I do. What do you do? do? What's the first thing you do when you get to the office and turn on the computer? Well, I'm What's your day like? (laughs) (laughs) My day is I I get up, I'm looking at the news, I'm looking at company announcements, I'm looking at our portfolio, what's happened overseas, um, and day-to-day is really... Um, you know, we do financial models on all of our companies that we're investing in and also engaging with management, making sure, you know, they are keeping up with their ESG requirements. Um, we're, you know, doing um, in-depth analysis and research on the companies 
and we get in at 7.30 in the morning. So yeah. we're, so, there's, um, so there's a lot of coffees to start the day There with is us, a lot of coffees, mm-hmm. very caffeinated. At what rate are companies being added or taken away from the portfolio? So we're a pretty active manager. So we're constantly looking at the portfolio, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, making sure that all of the stocks meet our valuation criteria. If there's any change in circumstances in the economy, um, we will adjust the portfolio accordingly. And how um, often does that take take place? Can, da- daily. So, mm-hmm. so we're looking to increase or reduce weights on a daily um, basis. And if there's obviously new opportunities that come to market, we will be taking advantage of those by buying or selling other assets in the portfolio. You use the term weight. Now, this is like a portfolio is um, I'm just making a a pie chart with my hands here. (laughs) And the weighting is how that pie is divided. Is that right? Yeah. So if you think of a whole portfolio is 100%. Mm -hmm. And um, in our case, in the Invest Future Impact Small Caps Fund, we have about 45 stocks in the portfolio. And they will all get a percentage of that pie um, each. So it could vary from 1% up to maybe around 4 to 5% or, or 6% in some cases if we have um, very strong uh, belief that that stock is going to perform well. But it's basically just the weightings is the piece of the pie that each stock represents. And how much is income part of the portfolio? Yeah, so it's not – income isn't a huge focus for us in the portfolio. We're, we're more about capital growth. So how is the fund tracking? Yeah, so so IMPQ's goal is really to find new and interesting smaller companies that are contributing to a sustainable future. So they're typically solving these large global sustainability uh, challenges like climate change or tackling social issues. Um, And they're usually doing this on a global scale. So the term that I find that really sums up our approach is do good while doing well. Um, And that's all about the idea that our focus on sustainability and ESG performance actually provides capital to firms who are doing good things for the world, but it's also enhancing the returns of our portfolio. So companies that perform well on ESG tend to actually perform, are better at managing risks across the whole of their business. Um, They have less ESG controversies. They have a greater ability to attract and retain key key staff. um, And they tend to be in um, industries that are growth industries. Um, For example, they're not producing coal, which is phasing out under, you know, new climate um, goals. And our, our fund has done really well. So we have received 9% over the benchmark um, in the last 12 months, uh, which is... Wow, it's pretty which good. Is, yeah, which is good. And, and typically that's, that's what research has suggested, that ESG funds do tend to perform well and typically experience less volatility. And with, with the COVID downturn, actually a lot of ESG funds tended to outperform and that kind of renewed the interest in the space. So are you able to talk about any of your favourite stocks, any personal favourites? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so we have a stock called Genetic Signatures or GSS. Um, and that is that is, the ASX code, is that it? That is the ASX code. But we're not recommending it for anyone to buy? <laughs> well, you don't want single stock shock like <laughs> we right. spoke about before. Um, but basically it is a rapid pathology testing um, kit and so it can detect infectious diseases within five hours. And what it was actually able to do is when the COVID crisis hit is able to include the COVID test in, in, their, in their kits, which um, had really strong performance for the fund, which is great. Um, another really great example is Mesoblast. Um, mm-hmm. And that is a They've company- got a lot of press lately, haven't they? Mesoblast, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so they treat uh, ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome. And obviously that is uh, with the COVID crisis, lung infection um, and, and ARDS is, is really prominent there. And some of the initial tests have shown a lot of improvement in um, patients who've had ARDS 
and using the mesoblast treatment. Getting back to your fascination with the movement of capital, this is what's happening, isn't it? That capital uh, is helping to develop new technologies, new ideas, new ways of doing things. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we like to see as a bit of our role. So we participate in capital raisings when companies are raising money to do new projects. Um, and that really helps to facilitate the movement of capital into companies that are doing good things and to help improve and drive those those outcomes um, and away from companies that may not be contributing positively to, to society um, or, or the world in general. So um, that's what we think is a huge benefit for investing in a sustainable way is because you're basically driving how the economy moves going forward. Have you ever made any investing mistakes yourself, personally? <laughs> <laughs> Should have bought more IMPQ in the downturn. <laughs> um, I think... A lot of my investing background has been in ETFs, actually, funnily enough. Um, I think that if you don't have the time to adequately research Because you need to do really, you really do need to research to actually make any kind of purchase. You need to understand the Mm. business, you need to understand the financials, the drivers of the stock, the Mm -hmm. sector, the competitors. Um, So it is a lot of work to be able to keep on top of all of those factors that could drive the stock. Um, And unless you have a large pool of money that will allow you to adequately diversify through having a number of stock holdings across different um, countries and diff- across different sectors, you, you are exposed to that single stock shock. And I actually did invest in one individual stock, uh, the Reject shop back in 2017. It had a really bad run. I was luckily enough able to wait till it recovered and, and sold out basically the cost I bought it at. Um, but it was just an example of I had that shock to my portfolio because I had invested in that and that one sh- stock and it didn't, didn't do so well. And did you research it? I did. I did yeah. do some research. Um, and of course, I was familiar with the product myself. Um, but, but it's just an example of how, you know, diversification is key because unless you can, you know, afford to have those big fluctuations in your portfolio, you should be buying something that gives you diverse exposure. So in that example with the reject shop, what was the mistake that you made? I think it was just a, um, things things were changing. People were tending to go to Kmart instead of the reject shop and, and the stores weren't doing so well and they, they weren't very strong online. Um, so I think there was a few few issues at stake there. Um, but, yeah, you, you learn your lesson. And um, I, I buy IMPQ. I think mm-hmm. it's a great, great fund for diversification in small and mid-cap stocks. Um, and Invest has a great range of products. So what sort of advice would you give first-time investors? I think the first part is actually education, which is why I feel you're really helping people out there to make smart choices with their money. So oh, it's all about me. It's not about, <laughs> it's not about the listeners I'm trying to learn. <laughs> exactly. But that, that's the first step. You need to be able to understand um, how, how the stock market even works because you know people dedicate their careers and their um, education to, to understanding. Um, so I think just understanding the, the basic drivers on why shares can move up and down what sectors will be impacted during economic shocks. And if you don't understand it, you probably shouldn't be investing in it. That, that's the reality. So always understand the risk with investments um, and your risk profile, because that's also very important. And like I said, unless you have the time and adequate funds to be able to diversify, you're probably best getting exposure to through a portfolio of companies. Yeah. One of, one of my previous guests, he's got a great quote, and I keep on repeating it, is match your risk to your experience. Yeah, absolutely. So just um, in terms of your knowledge of business, let's talk about the babysitting matching business that you run. How old were you when you were doing that? I would have been maybe about 20, uh, 19 or 20, actually. And you started your own your own business. I did, I That's did. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw a bit of a need out there because 
I mean, at, at the time, there was only two ways you could engage a babysitter, and that was through an agency, which is typically quite high hourly costs, or you could go on Gumtree and you could kind of find an individual who's advertising their services or, you know, pull a number off a telegraph pole if they had an advertisement out there. But there wasn't really a middle ground. So what I developed was a online system that um, really allowed a matching matching portfolio. So um, all the babysitters had been screened um, for certain things. I'd met with them. I had discussed. I was familiar with them. Um, and the parents were able to come to me and I'd match them up with a babysitter for a one-time cost. And um, that, that really taught me so many things about what I'm doing now. Um, it definitely taught me to uh, specialize in a niche and, and do it well, provide great customer service. So people want to come back and, you know, word of mouth is super important. Um, but also just the the importance of cult- culture of your team. So if you work for teams, for, if you have employees who are really passionate about what they're doing and they really enjoy working with you, they want you to do better and, and they will help you. They will work with you to try and improve your business as well. So they're the kind of key things that I learned. And culture is something that you just can't really put a price on in, in business. Would, would another aspect of that be um, many businesses now are um, software as service companies? I know that's not exactly what, you, what that was, but uh, the ways of doing business are very different these days, aren't they? Aren't they? And that would be an example of a new way of doing business that you were undertaking with that uh, enterprise. Exactly. So it's um, there's a lot more online um, connections, obviously, as you would know. Um, you know, you can get all types of products through online without having to even see a person face to face. So how do you still ensure that the customer experience is top notch because you don't have someone sitting there who's trying to guide you through it. Um, so, so customer experience is super important. You know, if they need help, how easy is it to access that help? Um, and how quick are they able to access your service? Um, so, so they're all really important things when you're thinking about facilitating an online, online business. But, um, in my case, it, it was a very human capital intensive business because it's all about relationships and people. So even though there was that online platform, you still had to connect with them, uh, you know, maybe over the phone and, and you're having babysitters who would meet them face to face. So still that human interaction is, was really important. So just before we go, Emily, that you've set up a special landing page for listeners to of this podcast that's going to have a lot more information. So. Absolutely. So if you want any more further information on ETFs or e-invest and um, IMPQ, which is the fund that I help to manage, you can go to www.einvest.com.au forward slash shares for beginners and we'll provide all of the links and content there. So thank you. Emily O'Neill. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Phil. The company and or guest has contributed to the costs associated with producing this episode of Shares for Beginners. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.